morning, Alta. Good morning, Olivia, and welcome everybody to our first episode ever. Welcome to our podcast called The Me and Us. So, The Me and Us is a podcast that focuses on you as the agent of change in all your important relationships. It is first and foremost about the self in the context of a couple, a family, a group, or others. It's a conversation between two relationship therapists providing both their personal and clinical perspective. Exactly. That's right. And before we get further into today's topic, I wanted to give a brief introduction of the wonderful Olivia. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist and has been in private practice for over a decade, working with couples, individuals, and families um, based out of Miami. And then she also has a PhD from Nova Southeastern University. She's married and has two children, first a girl and then a boy. And she comes from a blended um, remarried family. She's Swiss American, so she lived in Switzerland during her childhood. Um, And she's bilingual. She speaks German, Swiss German, English, and I know she also speaks a little bit of Spanish, although she doesn't really advertise that too much. (laughs) Just Um, a little. (laughs) And then Olivia likes cooking, gardening, horseback riding. She um, plays tennis, uh, likes to practice yoga, animal lover, and loves to read. Thank you, Elsa. Well, I have to introduce the wonderful Elsa. Um, She is a licensed marriage and family therapist and has been in private practice for three years. She has a master's from Nova South Eastern University, and also an undergrad in finance from Georgetown University. She is married and has three beautiful daughters, and she's also Venezuelan. And we do have a Swiss connection um, because I'm Swiss, and Elsa also spends a lot of time in Switzerland with her family and has so for many years. So actually, we have a lot of things in common. I guess we can touch on that later. Um, So Elsa is a middle child. She has an older brother and a younger sister. She speaks fluent Spanish and she loves to horseback ride. And what other things do you like to do, Elsa? That's a good question. I was thinking, you know, what do I do with my free time and realize that I don't have much free time? And I think that's why that category is running a little empty. Um, Theoretically speaking, I like to read a lot. I'm having a hard time finding a balance between reading um, interesting books from our field as well as just reading other lighter, entertaining stuff. But um, it's, it's definitely a priority this year. And maybe I'd add watching some TV in there, although I'm not necessarily proud, but it's a true reflection of what I do with the little free time I have. So I'll just put it in there. (laughs) Absolutely. I forgot to add that. (laughs) I love a good TV show, so can't um, can't miss that. So um, what are we talking about today? You know, it's interesting because we kind of ended up picking a topic that um, it's going to be number one, but it's not usually my number one priority. And this may sound shocking, but it's friendships, right? 
um, friendships and the personal connections that we make with people who aren't our partners or, um, or our family. And, um, I was actually thinking about what, you know, what makes a friendship. And, um, I was thinking about how you and I met and how we became friends, but also connected professionally. And now we're no longer living in the same country. And mm -hmm. I just think it would be interesting for us to explore, um, you know, the role that friendships play. And maybe we can take a look at how ours has evolved. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think we also, we came to this topic because we were talking about, um, you know, we have busy lives, we're, we're mothers, we have, you know, our private practice, and how much time do you have for friends right now, right? And part mm -hmm. of, I think, what brought us together again, now that I'm living here for now, um, is this podcast, and also because, um, you know, now we're both two therapists, and we have a lot in common and a lot to talk about. And so we're also on the board together of a, an organization. So we get to see each other then. But, um, you know, when we met, we were, or I was a therapist, you were not yet a therapist. And yeah, so I think we talked about like how much, you know, what makes a friendship, how much time do you need to spend together? Um, or what, what, what makes a connection? Yes, right. and one thing one thing I love to um, to talk about with my clients and think about personally is you know what is important in your life. What is a priority? You have twenty four hours a day. How are you going to spend them? And how to get really clear about um, how you distribute your time because there's enormous amounts of like um, external factors that call for our attention and um, in in today's world, we're so busy that it really requires for us to sometimes be able to say, this is what I'm going to give my time to, knowing that you're leaving things behind. And when I think of my priorities, usually it's going to be family and work top two by far. And friendships will come, I don't even know if third or even a little further down. And that's hard for me to say out loud, but it's a reality. That's just how the chips fall. But then I also fundamentally know that friendships are important. And so I struggle with understanding, you know, when I think of friendships in terms of quantity, it's very difficult for me to make room for them in my life. But when I shift to thinking about friendships in terms of quality, then I'm like, oh, okay, I can have those too. Mm -hmm. Yes, I absolutely agree. And it's interesting that you ask that question to your clients because I ask, I love to ask that question a little bit in a different way. I use energy and I ask clients, you know, out of a hundred, where does their energy go to what, you know, parts of their life? And it's always interesting to hear the responses and to see sort of their reaction when they realize an important part of their life, or at least what they think is, gets very little energy from them, right? And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I agree with you. I think, I think it also depends on the person. I think some people are much more social and need contact with others, right? They need to be um, constantly engaged in, in sort of contact with friends. And I think there are people who like to be um, in groups of friends, right? They have these, oh. these cliques and they, they hang out together and um, other people like more one-on-one -on -one contact, um, you know, and, and I think for myself, like, 
I would I would have to agree and sort of, you know, um, say like you, it probably doesn't take up as much space in my life as, um, you know, let's say my my family and maybe even my hobbies and a huge part are my my dogs <laughs> take mm. up and I think they are a huge part of my friendship um, because I spend so much time with them and they require a lot of my attention too. So um, they're definitely a priority. They're definitely a priority. And so I find myself sort of less in need of of sort of, you know, that constant contact, but it it is on my mind too, you know, where I say, uh-huh. okay, I need to check in with that friend. I haven't spoken to that friend. What are they doing? I have to, you know, there is a responsibility in keeping a a friendship and a connection going. I have to do my part in it too. And uh so I I am always aware of it. Mm. Um and it's, you know, it's challenging to navigate in 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 a world where there's a lot going on, or at least like right now in, in my life. Right. It occupies a lot of space in my mind too, but I have a couple of questions for you. So mm-hmm. going back to this exercise of energy and how much, you know, percentage, like what percentage um, friendships take up in your life, how much would you give it in terms of <laughs> um, you know, putting you, putting you, grilling you here? So we're talking about friendship with not family and mm-hmm. I mean, just friends. And I mean, I would probably say um, maybe 30%, 20. Wow. 20%. I was, I was thinking for me, it would be like 15, 20 at most. And it's funny. Yeah. You said 30, almost thinking it's too <laughs> little. When I said 30, I was like, that's a little, that's a little high. <laughs> Maybe that's the difference between the space it occupies in your mind and how much time you actually have to dedicate to it. But, you know, I think I also recognize, for me at least, I'm somebody that has less friends, but I have very close friends. That was my... No, I like that. I like that. Um, my second question was going to be, you mentioned about people that like big groups and cliques. Um, are you more the like big group type of person or more like individual, um, one-on-one relationships? I would say I'm absolutely one-on-one. I find groups take way too much of my energy and I think they're work. I think they're, they're just, they're, they sap my energy and not that it's not fun to be in groups, but I've never been, it's just, I've never gravitated towards that. Um, Mm -hmm. I've definitely been more one-on-one and not that I've brought friends together. I mean, I've done that too, that have known each other for many years, but I like to have more one-on-one contact. I think it's more intimate. It's more, um, I I think it's easier. It's just, Mm -hmm. there's, there's less drama too. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good point. The drama that comes with friendships. You know, when I think of my ideal friendships and how I bring them to life nowadays, it'll usually be a nice lunch one-on-one with a friend or dinner in with couples. What's, what's really neat is that my husband and I have developed, um, like really great couple friends and you and your husband are one of those. We just don't get to see you as often, but, um, you know, a dinner between, four of us, I think is, is, um, a perfect setting for me nowadays. Always my favorite thing as well, which is a challenge because it's not easy to find friends and couples that you 
you know, where the, your spouses, um, get along and, you know, the women get along, it's, it's, it's challenging to find that, but when you do, it's super special. And, um, Mm -hmm. they're also some of my, my favorite, um, times. And, uh, I agree lunches with friends. Um, some, uh, I, I'm not a big phone talker. Um, I just, and I'm not over the years, the older I get, the less I have energy to text. And I just am more and more moving away from the gadgets. So I do prefer one-on-one, you know, contacts, lunch, dinner, mm-hmm. um, some activity, I laugh because I because I have an allergy to my phone yeah. as well. Um, you know, after after a seven minute marker on that timer, I'm like, okay, I don't have the focus or time for this. But um, I think you uh, taught person, me. It I, think I taught you, taught you what to use voice notes. Yes, <laughs> which has been a lifesaver. <laughs> and I've heard that some people get very um, upset by them, upset by it, and I just find it like such a great thing. I'm like, why don't I use this more? <laughs> They're awesome. You get to hear a person's voice, but listen to it yes. with your own, you know, timing in mind. And um, my husband's one type. of the voice note haters, but, um, <laughs> but I'm a big fan. Yeah. I'm a big fan. I love them. <laughs> so you we know, have to talk, we have to talk about how we met too, right? And just okay. like some good idea. That story. So we met. I remember our our husbands were friends, and we invited you over to dinner, right? And I don't think we have met at that time. I think I've not. No, but we, I knew who you were, but we had not met. Because we. Oh, I think it's an important uh, piece of background. We lived in the same neighborhood, and so we had kind of. There's a little bit of a community, so we so we had right. a sense of who the other was, but we just had a met one on one. Exactly, you were a few streets over from me, mm-hmm. and we just had such a lovely night. I just felt like it was we totally connected and hit it off, and um, it was just really pleasant. I, I just remember and, it being, and it was one of many, the first of many dinners yeah. that we did right at our at our homes where one of us but would cook and that um, dinner had something incredibly special for me. Um, I've told you this before, but that dinner kind of changed the direction of my life. Um, As you said in the intro, I had studied finance as an undergrad and I was working in banking until I had my first child. And then I stopped working once she was born. Two years into being a mother and not really having, you know, a, a career ahead of me, I was really needing to that space in my life. And I remember I was like, okay, I guess I'll have to go back to finance. It's what I know. And you had a conversation with me that really changed everything. You really made me question whether that's what I wanted. And I was quick to realize that it was not. And I was like, well, what do you do? And you're like, I'm a therapist. And I was like, like, I've always loved that field. That's amazing. Tell me more. And that tell me more led into me applying for the master's program the next morning. And so it was the the beginning of a friendship. (laughs) The next morning, it was the beginning of a friendship. And also it was the beginning of this whole career of mine that I think gives an extra dimension to our friendship because- Um, you know, you've been a mentor, we've shared office, um, we are peers, um, you know, and so it really gives a lot of different points of connection to, to our friendship. So thank you again. 
Oh, I just, I really had just such a strong feeling that you would love it and that you would be a very good therapist. And all of that came true. And um, it's just been so wonderful to see because it was also sort of looking back at when I started the program and right. I, we sort of, I saw you approaching it very similarly, you know, just like full in, you just loved learning. Yeah. So I'm super proud of you. Thank you. You know, just yesterday I was talking to a client about the difference between chemistry and compatibility. I was talking about it in the context of a couple, but just now when you were telling me this, I was thinking again about that compatibility and chemistry. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of realizing how much impact you had on me and how much of a connection we made with just the one dinner. And I'm thinking that as you tell the story, as I hear your side of the story, I hear some chemistry that was obviously there that allowed us to, I think, get deep into that very vulnerable and honest conversation where you, you know, to some degree challenged me and where I opened up to you. Um, but then I also think that compatibility has gotten us this far because I think we share similar values and we have similar styles, like you said, in our commitment of how we approach something. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that maybe the combination of those two things has allowed us to get this far in our friendship, because it's also a low maintenance friendship, I feel like. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, like, think about, um, well, we have some, we had some questions that we wrote down that we can get to in a little bit. But I agree. I think there was absolutely a chemistry there that I think needs to be there to some degree, right? I mean, there has to be some sort of, you have to hit it off. And I think for me, at least, I I sort of get that very quickly, that feeling like if that's yeah. happening or not, you know? And I think it does. And if does, it doesn't, are you able to just let it be? Are you, or, or do you find yourself pushing to make uh, friendship work? No, not at all. I think, um, I think it's great when it happens. And then um, maybe I'll put more effort into maintaining that or that that can go and develop into a friendship. But if it's not there, you know, then I don't think it's going to be there. Then I think it's, mm -hmm. you know, I think it's sort of like, yes, you can work at it. But I, I do think it's sort of like, also, when you meet, let's say somebody you're going to date, you know, there has to be, at least I've, for me, it's always been, there has to be some sort of connection, some sort of like also attraction, you know, like some sort of energy that, that is there that either like is it. or is not. And that's totally fine. It's not going to be with, with everyone and that's no. okay. And, and that makes me think of something. I wanted to bring it to your experience as a clinician, as a therapist, um, I know that I have talked to, I've seen a lot of relationships and clients that report that, you know, once they start dating or get into a serious relationship, they lose a lot of friendships. Um, and that plays out very interesting across um, relationships. Uh, have you heard that, you know, this idea that once you find a significant other, friendships take like a back seat? And if you have, what do you make of it? Well, I think I've certainly heard it. Um, and maybe, 
maybe more in, in newer relationships, not, you know, a lot of the couples that I see, they've been together for many years, so okay. it doesn't come up as much, but I, I definitely come across it. And, um, you know, I, I sort of look at it as like, well, you know, how much, how much do people sort of give up other things in their life when they sort of pour everything they have into one person, right? And what does that mean for the relationship long-term and for this person's friendship? Because yes, and and even going back to couples who have been together for for many years, I think you see it over time if that has happened in other areas of their life too, right? Giving up a lot of other things. I think it really comes out where one person, well, first of all, problems arise in the relationship and one person becomes more symptomatic, you know, in some way of sort of like not having anything else or functioning, as I would say, more for the relationship and not for yourself. Hmm. So it's almost like this relationship, this new person in my life, this new partner has become so important to me that I need to make it my number one priority. And if I make it my number one priority, sometimes that can look like it's the only priority. Mm -hmm. And that's where you find yourself maybe giving up other important areas of your life. Has that ever happened to you? Ah, it's such a difficult question because again, I don't think I have very intense relationships. Um, and I do think that there's like a, yeah, I think it has. I think at the beginning of a relationship, I found myself choosing one over another a little more. And, and, and you know, if, if you had, you had, I guess if you didn't have that partner, that wasn't a priority in your life. So you had extra energy to pour into different areas like friendships. And then you still have the same amount of energy or 24 hours and somebody new and important comes into your life. That's going to automatically make you redistribute. So I would say it's fair to say that my friendships did see a decrease when um, maybe when I met a significant other, but I think I was able to kind of bounce back and, and give these friendships um, more time in my life as I settled into my relationship. But I, don't, I wouldn't say it was a smooth transition. Um, I'm also thinking about the different scenarios. Like when you're in college, so much of it for me was friendships, like 24 seven was friendships. And then, um, you know, when I met my partner, I was working. And so I had very little free time. Well, I think it's also, I'm thinking of just the life cycle, right? Like, like you say, I think maybe, um, when you're younger, um, friendships are more important. I, th I see it with my daughter now, you know, she's, she's 11. Um, and it's very important. And she's a girl. And I think during this this age now, teenager, um, or becoming a teenager, it becomes very in, important for their development, um, especially for girls to have these friendships and and even like one on one friendships to have sort of a best friend, right? And and calling each other BFFs. And I think it's it's that time. And then even in college, like I think before your life sort of, you know, becomes, I don't know, more full of responsibility, I guess, with work. And, you know, when you do meet a significant other that you're either going to marry and have children with, it even changes again, because mm -hmm. I think, you know, when you do have children, it's just, there is just not 
enough time. There's not even enough time I have for myself. So let alone for a friendship, you know? So I think for me, it's, I've noticed at least, you know, this last decade has been very active because I have young children and I'm working and, you know, maintaining a home and all of those things. Um, that that it's very important for me to have time for myself. And that's why, you know, I do make it a priority to have my hobbies and to yeah. do things that um that are important to me and that sort of rebuild my energy. And a lot of those things are not necessarily um with a friend. It's maybe with people, but it's more something that I do, you know, like, like horseback riding, or when I was cycling, I was in a group and there was a lot of socializing, but this was more a group setting. And it was not like a, you know, it didn't take that much energy to maintain those relationships. Mm. And that's why I say like, I have those few good relationships that I do, um, you know, um, try to put as much effort into maintaining, you know, um, that, that connection. And Mm. I hope it always goes both ways. Right. And I think generally speaking, it does when I show up for it, you know, with those particular people, but it definitely does take effort too, especially when you're, um, not living in the same place. And one thing I wanted to ask you and bring up when I was thinking about this is, and I'm curious to hear your experience on this, that when we, as you mentioned, we live in a neighborhood where we had, you know, you become friends with a lot of the people and families who live there because it's Mm -hmm. also out of convenience. And especially when you have kids, your kids play together and maybe you walk down the street and go to dinner to, to another neighbor and you walk home and you don't have to get in a car. You don't have to sit in traffic. Everything is just easy. And I think like, so there's that in your, in your life, like your everyday life. And then you have friends that you maybe don't see in years. And maybe this was a college friend. Maybe this was a childhood friend. Maybe this was a friend that moved away. And you keep in contact with that person, but you don't talk to that person as much. And Mm -hmm. maybe though, I think what's special, if it is, when you do um, have contact with those people who you don't talk to as much, you kind of pick up right from where you left off and everything feels natural. And sometimes I think that, that I wonder if those relationships that are maybe more distant in some way in your everyday life, you feel more, um, sort of, you can, you can tell them, let's say more secrets, or you can, you can open up more to that person and you don't feel judged and you don't feel like, um, there's just more room in that relationship despite the distance and and the space mm-hmm. versus when with people that you that are, are you're very good friends with and that you see every day but they're much more involved in your in your life you know those are maybe the friendships where you're more careful to share very private things right because it's nice. more like it's more you're more exposed in some way and i just find that very interesting cuz 
Yeah, I, I experienced super both. interesting. I have definitely experienced those two different types of friendships, you know, and there's the the people that you share with a lot of your life because of the circumstances, you know, maybe your kids go to school together or you live in the same neighborhood. And there's also compatibility and chemistry because there's people mm -hmm. that share the same circumstances and you don't actually spend time with them. So you can be friendly. I think I am friendly with quite a few people in our neighborhood in school but then do I consider those the friendships that um I connect with um you know I don't know I I mean those are friendships too I guess what I'm thinking about is what you said about how vulnerable you are or if you guard yourself that's interesting I hadn't thought of that I don't think I don't think I, I'm trying to think if I'm ever vulnerable with friends. I think it would be oh, very few friends that I'm very, very vulnerable with. I just, you know, because I, I was trying to think if I'm constantly thinking when I'm sharing with someone, whether that's something I want to say or not. And that doesn't come to mind as something that I'm thinking about constantly, which makes me think that there are parts of my life that I'm just not usually sharing. It would be the mm -hmm. exception that I, I don't know, maybe I'm just too boring and I don't have too many secrets. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm thinking more of like, if you're going through a very difficult time or, yeah. you know, it, and it's sort of like, let's say you live in, or it goes back to the idea of like a sort of a social circle, you know, like hanging out in a group. And it's the same thing like in neighborhoods, right? Because mm -hmm. when you're And I think maybe young couples who have children maybe find that because they are interacting more with each other, but you're not friends with every family or every couple. And, you know, then you tell somebody something to that person and then that person is hanging out with somebody else. And I just feel like it's much, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's sort of like you're, you're more, or I'm at least maybe more cautious in that set, setting to, just sort of, you know, expose myself versus again, these one-on-one -on -one relationships that I have and not that, that, that I don't have that or that it's not possible in that kind of setting, mm -hmm. but it goes back to, um, there's just this, this, my thinking is just about what, what in a friendship when there is space, you know, like, so the idea of like somebody not being in your, in your, um, presence all the time, right. Mm -hmm is there room for more acceptance in, in a person, you know, when, mm -hmm. when, when you are sort of not really knowing what is happening on the day in and out of somebody's life, but you feel a really strong connection to that person, um, and can really open up and share private things with that person, yes. you know, and it makes me think, is that possible because of that space and room I love that. That is sort of allowed, um, you know, the acceptance of letting the other person be who they are, you know, and that's what makes a good I friendship. Think I, two, two words, two concepts come to mind. And one is the idea that there's less noise and less clutter from like the day to day, mm -hmm. you know, more. And, and that applies to all relationships. Sometimes we think we're talking to someone because we're telling them what we're doing that day. Like, oh, are you picking up the girls? Are you? Da, 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 and you think you're in contact, but you're really, it's just like a lot of noise. 
Um, and when you are spending a lot of time with people, that's kind of the nature of it because you're kind of checking in and making plans. Whereas a friendship that you don't report to um, sort of your day to day, there's less noise and clutter. So when you speak, um, maybe everything you say has a little more uh, meaning or you choose more carefully what you are sharing. And then mm -hmm. the other thing I was thinking about is expectations. Maybe, maybe subconsciously or without knowing, we have more expectations of the people that we are spending time with, you know, like, did they call or am I invited to the play date or, no. um, you know, are we going to see each other? There's like more pressure to, yeah. um, to keep that constant contact. And I think that when you have less expectations from a relationship, there is freedom, there's more freedom and there's more space yes. to show up more Absolutely. genuinely. And so, you know, what expectations do you have of those friendships that are, you know, a little bit more long distance that you don't see constantly, maybe less. I think that yeah, would definitely absolutely. be the case for me. And I always say that if, you know, if you want to avoid disappointment, lower your expectations. Yes. It's, it's kind of like well, a little formula, lower expectations equals more freedom and yeah. then more freedom equals more. Yeah. And more satisfaction and, and yeah. Absolutely. That's interesting. Well, so here we have some questions that we came up with when we were thinking of this topic and um, a couple of the questions, and maybe this is something um, for you to think about, um, is markers of an anxious relationship. What are markers of an anxious relationship? And I can, I, I'll pick at that for a second. Okay. <laughs> I think um, for me, a marker of an anxious relationship would be how much energy is going into sort of trying to change the other person in a relationship. And that comes from like maybe with giving advice or, um, you know, arguing or not accepting sort of the other, uh, the other's opinion or choices. Um, and I think another, um, marker would be if there's, you know, a lot of worry about how much time is spent together. Um, mm. you know, what I would add something else to that, which is what I was thinking is if you spend a lot of time worrying about what the other person is thinking about, especially in oh, friendships, yeah. that to me is a huge mm -hmm. one. So, and okay. maybe you have some other ones, but that is, um, I love to think in terms of markers of, of, you know, anything really, I mm -hmm. think that's such a, a great way to sort of assess your own functioning and your own relationships. Um, another that's question would be, um, what makes you feel connected to someone? Okay. So I think just a couple of thoughts on that one makes you feel connected is the fact that you feel, um, safe. Like the fact that you maybe don't feel you need to be guarding yourself so that you can be a little less anxious um, in connection to that person. And another one that comes to mind is um, humor. When you find someone you can laugh with, that to me is um, instant connection. Absolutely. I love to laugh. And um, I would agree. I think there has to be sort of um, a shared, you know, giving and taking. Um, I don't know if that's just energy. I, I also think there has to be, you have to have things in common, something, right? You have okay, to have certain things enough. in common that 
keep that, keep a connection going or make that connection. Okay. Another question is how do you define a strong relationship? Friendship, sorry. I think if there's, again, it goes back to sort of, you know, having something in common um, when there's enough sort of space to allow the other person um, to be who they are, Mm -hmm. to not have, you know, too many or any expectations really, you know, or maybe just not too many um, where it sort of sets you up for disappointment. Um, To me, I'm thinking reciprocity where you feel that um, and, and it's not that you're focused on what you're getting out of it, but that it feels reciprocal, that you feel that if you're putting in effort, the other person cares too. And maybe that may look like you calling them three times before they call you back once. That's fine. But just that you feel, um, you know, that that person cares as well, because if I'm going to put my time into it, then, you know, I want to make sure that it's a relationship that goes both ways. And, um, I was also thinking about, um, quality over quantity, a friendship that can withstand, you know, maybe the test of time, you know, maybe we don't see each other for two years, but when we meet again, the quality is there, that, Mm -hmm. um, ability to start where we left off. Right. And then it's always the question, do you need to have a history to Mm. survive that, you know, to make that sort of possible or not? I don't know. That's a, that's a question, but I, I agree. I think there, there absolutely has to be a give and take, you know, and I think you just can't, you know, if you want to have a friendship, you have to show up for it and you have to put something into it. But if you're only putting in and not getting anything in return, I think that leads to our next question, you know, have you ever found yourself in an over-functioning or under-functioning relationship? Um, Do you connect these ideas to being type A or type B personality? That's interesting. Yeah. It's it's very easy to be in an over-functioning or under-functioning relationship. I think especially if you're looking at it from a very specific lens, like who calls more or, you know, how often do I invite to dinner and the other person never shows up that way. But that would be a little bit narrow-minded. I think it's important when you're assessing over-functioning and under-functioning to really measure the relationship um, from like different perspectives and um, and like a wider lens in terms of just like general satisfaction and again, chemistry, compatibility, um, and that you don't feel you need to overfunction in order for the relationship to survive. If you choose to call more because you want to, that's fine. But then if you don't, and that person is never really going to call you, then that's a different story. I don't know if you agree with that. Yeah, I do. And you know, I, when I think of overfunctioning, underfunctioning, I, I just automatically thought of that appearing more in, well, I was thinking of romantic relationships because, or the, the closer relationships, the heavier relationships, the, the ones that do come with expectations, you know, mm-hmm. the unspoken expectations where over-functioning and under-functioning can be much more apparent, you know, and people then really, um, yeah, can struggle with that, right? The find themselves in an over-functioning relationship and not knowing what to do about it or how to get out of that, right? Yes. And then last but not least, how do you determine a healthy friendship over a draining toxic friendship? And I have to think that that really will depend on each person. But for me, something that is draining is not being able to 
somebody who varies a lot, who treats you differently depending on the setting or somebody that's not reliable, somebody that gives you their word and then just you never mm. know where you're standing with them, that drains me. And so um, I, I've, I've asked myself if that's me having too high expectations of someone else. Um, but I don't think so. I think that to me is the bare minimum to be able to be at peace and not anxious in a relationship, you know, that I can know where I'm standing with a person and that I can count on them if they've offered. Yeah. I would have to agree with, um, you know, doing what you say you're going to do. And if that doesn't happen, then I, I always say actions are louder than words. And, I really, that is for me a big marker on, on if that is, you know, and ends up being a, a draining relationship or not. And also I think, you know, I, I think for me, if I end up becoming sort of, I think as a therapist, I, I naturally a, a listener, I, I listen more than sort of am the one, you know, sharing or, or looking for advice. I, I think it's just, I think it's also because I'm a younger sibling. I'm just more, um, that's just more who I am. But if I find myself, you know, sort of um, listening all the time or sort of playing therapist with a friend nonstop, um, then then I, I sort of- Either you know, pay me for the session or <laughs> hang up the phone. <laughs> and then, you know, it's just like, and if that happens over and over again, then I, I do- find myself drained and sort of like, well, what, you know, what am I getting from this? And maybe that's also on me to, to, you know, I think I have to take responsibility in that too, where I have to then sort of speak up, you know, I have to set boundaries then, or I have to sort of make room for myself in a relationship mm -hmm. like that, you know, and, and then either it balances out or it doesn't. Right. But that would be sort of an example for me. So you'd want a conversation, a dialogue, really. And what you're talking about is creating that reciprocity. And if it doesn't feel reciprocal, maybe it's just no, not it. Maybe it then will require less energy from me. <laughs> well, if anything, this episode is our best attempt to create another form of connection that is meaningful to you and I. Um, and I hope that other people will find our thoughts and, um, our conversation interesting and useful. I second that. Thank you. This was fun, Elsa. I like this. This made me think and ask questions and sort of reflect. And I think that's the idea of the podcast and, you know, being, um, two relationship therapists, our conversations will always, you know, involve something relational, something about, you know, relationships in, in yeah. life. And I was thinking that they, um, kind of recapping the episode, we went from personal to clinical to theory. Um, there's thinking, there's feeling and a little vulnerability. And, um, that was fun. Definitely very dynamic. We hope to see you on the next one. <laughs>